Emergency Services 101. That's next on Inside the SCCA, presented by Blaze Coaching. Dion, what question do you get the most before someone decides to, to get a coach? Rather than the question, I'm going to say the number one comment we get is, Dion, you know, I want a coach, but I need to get faster first. I need to get my new personal best. That is the absolute wrong way to think about things. The right time to get a coach is today. The next best time is tomorrow. When drivers spend more time trying to add speed without the right fundamentals, without the right systematic approach, you're increasing risk and you're forming more strength than bad habits to take us more time to fix. So go ahead, send your video in today. Doesn't need to be the perfect lap. Doesn't need to be the perfect session. We can look at your fundamentals, even if you make mistakes and give you actionable tips to start going faster and being safer today. That's Dion Von Molke, Rolex 24 and Sebring 12 hour race winner and co-founder of Blaze Coaching. For more info, go to blaze.io. Links to the runoffs packages are in the show notes. My guest on this episode of Inside the SCCA, presented by Blaze Coaching, Peter Vallome, New England Region's Chief of Emergency Services of the Emergency Services Team, because of course we don't do anything in the SCCA without a team, except for maybe the announcer. I don't always have a team, Peter. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. So you have been doing this at least as long as I have, because when I was doing my stuff with New York region back in the early aughts. You were um, you were you were doing ES back then. So how did you get started in just being a car guy? Let's start with that. Oh, being a car guy started at uh, somewhere around Birth? three or four <laughs> years old. Uh, my parents uh, had us living in Omaha, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and the draftsman for my father's company that he was the VP of new technology um, was an SCCA guy. He raced in 1100 uh, MG. So one of the, you know, a tin top. And my parents said, let's go watch Mr. Collins go race at, you know, whatever this racetrack was. Right. And, you know, stood behind, rabbit fencing probably 25 feet off of a racetrack and got to see everything from corvettes and jaguars and lotus 11s that were racing in the let's see probably 65 66 67 uh all the way down to in 1100 and the bug eyes and all of that and it just absolutely stuck with me um there were fits and starts as i was growing up and i always loved sports cars my brother's uh my brother's first car was a 1953 dodge panel wagon and he immediately went from that to a 1970 gt6 plus triumph well you needed the panel wagon to tow the triumph because the triumph only ran half the time right he needed the panel wagon to go chase parts. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to have a British car, you need to have a regular car to go get parts for the British car. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I ended up inheriting the GT6, swapped that out for a TR4. That got swapped out to my current sports car, which is an MG Midget, a 1964 MG Midget Mark III. Cool. Which is a great little car and i have to do very little for it uh, and it just runs constantly nice Nice. i try and put about three or four thousand miles a year on so did you take all the lucas electrics out of it nope i still have lucas fuses (laughs) wow and it runs flawlessly it does it really does you know i i go i ask it to start it starts Mm. i took I tune the carburetors twice a year, once when it gets really, really hot, and once in the springtime when it's still cool and damp here in New England. Those who've listened now for this is 72 episode, number 72, know that I take every possibility that I have to take a swing at Lucas Electrics. So, (laughs) 
and and you're more than welcome to. And I hate to tell you, but this is a good this is a good round. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. Yeah. So we're we're here to talk emergency services. So at some point in your racing history, you you got mixed up with the ES team. How did that all come about? Uh, I was uh, I had bought myself a uh, Dodge Neon ACR, uh, a hoot of a car, mm-hmm. probably. Uh, it was a 96, and it was labeled as the second fastest Dodge product that they manufactured behind a Viper. Um, and that that was around the same time as the, the Dodge Shelby as well, right? Uh, no, it was, uh, it was post Shelby. Okay. Um, 95 was the first, yeah, 95 was the first year of the Dodge Neon. Got it. Okay. And they started the Dodge, the Neon Cup cars as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had a 96 and, uh, my first year I autocrossed it with New England region and Cumberland Motor Club, which is the club out of Cumberland, Maine. And. I was down at New Hampshire Motors, uh, New Hampshire International Speedway, which is now New Hampshire Motorsports Park. Right. And I had just gotten a set of Kumos mounted onto my steel wheels, and I could not keep pressure in one of the tires. So I decided to back out of the autocross for the day. And they said, well, since you're here and you're a firefighter EMT, they're always looking for people to work emergency services. And I go, what's that? <laughs> and they said, I'll take you inside and you can meet the chief of emergency services who happened to be Jane MacArthur. And it just went from there. My probably the second or third session of the day was Formula Fast, the Formula Atlantics mm-hmm. and the 1600s and the Continentals. And I was standing 10 feet off the track watching cars go by incredibly fast through uh new hampshire speedways uh turn four on the road course and i got blessed by a tire booger right square in the middle of my forehead Mm -hmm. and the chief of services uh husband neil was right there and he goes he says you've been blessed there you You need to be one of us so we have a little similar history. I was an EMT as well. Uh, I volunteered on Long Island, and um, were you were you always a volunteer fire EMS, or were you part of the paid service? Because I don't know up in your area. Uh, I'm guessing it's mostly volunteer, except in the big cities, right? Right. Uh, we're we're all volunteer, or now they refer to it as paid call because of uh, being able to have workman's comp. Right. To pay for injuries on on the fire scene. Uh, And I am closing in on 30 years as being a firefighter EMT. Wow. I did it for 12 years. Um, And then now and then I moved out to L.A. And here there are no the only volunteer ability uh, opportunities out here for anyone of that ilk are search and rescue teams. And uh, we actually have one of the best in Southern California right here in my little town of Sierra Madre. Um, we have Mount Wilson uh, right above. I live, I can walk to the foothill of Mount Wilson and people tend to do stupid things up there all the time. And, uh, I get the little texts whenever the, uh, whenever the search and rescue team goes out and it's like, really, why are you out like this? And and anyway, it's usually people who should never be hiking in the first place, but let let me not go there. Anyway, (laughs) um, my first experience with you was at New Hampshire International Speedway. Uh, I was, um, to say I was driving a Formula V was probably not the right terminology. Um, I, I was inside a Formula V that wasn't going very fast, uh, threw a rod through the tank, uh, through the side of the block and sprayed a whole bunch of, uh, mobile one on the back of the firewall, uh, which because of, uh, I am a man of ample girth. Um, I was sitting on the firewall. I didn't have a seat. And uh, that firewall got really hot, really fast. And um, yeah. I thought the whole thing was on fire. So I pulled into uh, the station just before you made the right-hand turn to go outside of NASCAR. Yeah. Was that three? Turn three. Yep, third three. Yep. And you've never seen a large, round Polish person climb out of a Formula V faster. 
and uh, I ended up going to the emergency little center because I had some burns across my back. And uh, uh, that was when I first met you. You came rushing along with your ES vehicle and and pulled out a fire hose, and I, and I was praying you weren't going to hit it with Hallen because I'd have to clean that up. And you didn't. Thank nope. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was never on fire. It was just hot oil. Um, right which uh, I didn't know because it was behind me and I couldn't see it. So I got out fast, but um, so yeah, that was my first introduction to, to you. Um, Thumper, where'd yeah. that come from? <laughs> I got to ask. Because uh, most people don't did, even know your name. Oh, oh, you have, I, there's a whole story onto that as well. Yeah. But um, uh, I, I was working along. I, I had uh, just gotten my divisional. Uh, in emergency services, uh, and every time I, I was given a radio in the morning, like you're always given a radio right. in the morning, and I keyed the mic to talk to control, and there was a thumping noise, uh, and okay. they said, "Oh, you're you know you're thumping, your battery's about to die." It's like, okay, so you know, Dougie, the 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 radio guy goes, brings me another battery, and he brings me another junk battery. So now I have another drunk battery. And they're like, you're thumper. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, you know, after doing some, you know, learning, you know, I, you know, I've had, you know, my, my son, Patrick, who is, uh, at the time was working in timing and scoring. Uh, he goes and, you know, I, I've seen Bambi. I don't know how many yeah. times. And the one thing about thumper is that thumper was always everybody's friend. You know, he had no enemies and he had, he did not have a mean bone in his body. And they just, you know, I thought, well, I've been called a lot of things in, in my past. And I figured Thumper is something that I can actually latch on to. There's worse things. And it just, it stuck. There you go. Good stuff. All right. So emergency services, it's an interesting specialty. Uh-oh, I lost you. Uh-oh. Verbal. Can you hear me now? Let me hang on. That's good. Test, test, test. Test, test, test. Checking, 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 checking. There we go. That was weird. And new set of Bluetooth. Uh Earbuds. Okay. I'll go with that. All right. Occasionally you'll hear a dog bark in the background. That's okay. Yes. We've had that more than once on the show, so it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Usually gives me a chance to ask about the dog. All right. Right. So let's go. I I I know exactly where I picked off or dropped off here. So emergency services. It's an interesting specialty because it's one of those things that varies a lot from region to region and in many cases from track to track. Um, back in the day when you started, I'm guessing you just did it all. Um, so let's start with in, in, a, in a scenario where the club provides all of the emergency services, which I guess we, we would many consider that the best option. Um, what does emergency services entail? Emergency services is broken out into uh three different subcategories and possibly four i had i uh it was it was brought to my attention that pace car was removed from emergency services but really they're still a part of emergency services because they help control the field yep um and then we have the fire rescue guys which are the ones that put out the fires chase down in the trucks and um you know, extract any drivers that need to be assisted in in getting out of their cars. The fat Polish guy out of his Formula V. Um, <laughs> there's course marshals, which are the people that are in charge or tasked with re- doing track restoration, making sure that the speedy drive's been swept up mm-hmm. or reduced to a point where the next run group can you know go out there safely um you know we're more diligent if we know that it's going to be formula v's or formula fast right then if it's a bunch of gt1s or it cars right 
Um, and then there's medical. Right. Okay. Just the hard the hardest thing because wherever a track is, you have what's considered local medical protocols. Right. So unless you live inside that medical protocol or you're in a state that has a single medical protocol, you really can't practice much. You can do BLS and first aid, but anything beyond that is kind of taboo and difficult to do because if you don't have an ambulance to, you know, as, as your toolbox and you know, everything on the ambulance, you can be more of a hindrance than, and, and this is where SCCA has, has, as long, as long as I've been playing with SCCA recently, uh, emergency services, medical is, uh, just assisting the ambulance crew. Right. Right. That we hire to, to do ALS and such. That's one of the reasons why I really never glommed on to ES is because in EMT, I couldn't practice outside of my home, you know, where I had my license. So, you know, even if, if, you know, if I was on the fire truck and I showed up, I'd want to do what I'm trained to do and I'd be breaking the law to do it. And I'm like, well, you would and you wouldn't. Um, to a certain extent. Yeah, to a certain extent, yes. Uh, you can still, you know, the, the person on the fire truck that doesn't really want to play with fire, their task was going to check on the driver. Right. And they're the ones that will make the call as to whether the ambulance has to come all the way out to sure. wherever the incident is. Right. Yeah. And you could and render I, basic first aid regardless. I mean, under every state's Good Samaritan law, I think that probably falls under that. So Right. Right. And I, I live in the state of New Hampshire, and we have a single protocol and only five regions where right. the state of New York is two different protocols – and, you know, I don't know how many different, you know, fiefdoms that are built into that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So it can go, you know, in, in both directions very easily. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, and we should also remind people that, you know, I, you're a firefighter and EMT, but if you want to help out with emergency services, you do not have to have any training or any certifications to come and volunteer and be part of it, you'll be trained to help out. Absolutely. And if you find out that you don't really want to pull the pin on an extinguisher and, you know, walk right up to a completely burning car, that's fine too. We have, we have places, course marshals, you know, track restoration, you know, if you can push a broom, right. You can be a part of the emergency services team. And in some regions, course marshals also handle the flat toes. Yes. Yes. So, in a lot of regions they do. Yeah. Um in New England region, we we kind of do everything with all our, you know, with all our vehicles. Right. But you know, you get down into the, you know, DC region, which is still in the Northeast Division, they have their own bunch of flat toe people, course right. marshal flat toe people. And, and, and they do a great job. For, for those who might not know, when we use the word flat tow, essentially there's a couple of different ways you can tow a car back to the pits that's either been in a crash or has had a mechanical problem. Uh, if it still has four wheels and a steering wheel and all of the tires are mostly full. Um, or pointed in the same direction. And pointing in the same direction. Uh, we, we do what's called a flat tow. In some regions they call it a rope tow. Uh, and basically, you hook a rope to it and you tow it in behind any car that's capable of, of pulling or truck that's capable of pulling that car. Uh, then, of course, we have the wrecker, which is uh, your standard hook type wrecker. And then most tracks also have a, depending on where you're at, it's called many different things, a rollback or a tilt bed. And I've actually heard some regions call that a flat tow, too, which is not, in my mind, the proper terminology. Flat toe or flat bed. Yeah. Usually we call them flat beds. Right, right. Um, so there's lots of different ways to get cars back depending on that car's condition um, and whether or not the driver's still there. That's also helpful. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, so, uh, um, so we, emergency services responds to fires, em- yep. medical emergencies, um, disabled cars, um, uh, 
oiled down racetracks. I, did you were you at the runoffs? Uh, not this year. Okay. So I, I learned just... something new when it when an oil when oil on a wet track tide is the uh, the tool of choice to get the oil off the wet track. Dry tide, yes. Yeah. Not the liquid stuff. So it's the powdered tide. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yep. We used a lot of that on Friday and Saturday at the runoffs. Um, yeah, that was uh, that's a new one for me. I was really okay. That's pretty cool. But um, and so you guys do, and, all- that's, and, and that's only if your oil is sitting and it's not moving with the water. Right. If the water is is moving off track, just leave it. And yeah. That's what we normally do. Yeah. So cool. Cool. What um. When you're trying, when someone's thinking about becoming, possibly volunteering for emergency services, what type of person are you looking for? What type of person makes the oh. best ES volunteer? And and not just with a pulse. <laughs> they have to do more than just fog a mirror. Right. Um, they have to, uh, they, they really want to help. Yeah. They get a fantastic seat. But they also have to be willing to be dressed wrist to wrist to ankle to neck in what's basically like a, a packing blanket as 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 they progress through, you know, we've all, you know, all of my crew wear driver suits. Right. I of being larger girth, as we have spoken about. Uh, I get a custom suit, but it's not a custom suit as a driver because the driver gets into a car and sits there right. for 20 minutes. I have to be able to climb up over tires, be able to pick things up, jump over walls, you know, run faster, jump higher, you know, hiking boots of some sort, not a sneaker, uh, gloves. You know, my glove of choice is is a Nomex um, pit crew glove right okay and you know i you know some tracks require that you be wearing a helmet and most and most of my helmets are my former fire fire department uh structural firefighting helmets right right um and and uh, the difference in my mind between the driver's suit and the es suit is that the driver's suit has two functions um and and some would think that they're not in this proper order, but the dri- the driver's suit is to to protect you from fire, and to make you look good. <laughs> um, and some people don't think that's the proper order, by the way. Um, and uh, on ES, it's comfort and fire protection. Yes, and and flexibility. Right. And, and it absolutely has to be flexible. I you know. I could give you rough numbers as to how much I've spent on on gear, but I am on my fourth suit, yeah, custom made. So those people that are out there that know cost of equipment, you know, I've I've dropped my own coin on something, but I made a promise a long time ago to my son, and you know, my my current wife Laura, who is. Uh, assistant grid chief in New England region. Um, so all three of us, you know, work work SCCA events. Um, I made a promise that when you know I'm ready to hang up my Nomex, that I'm going to have ten fingers, ten toes, two eyes, and then something that kind of looks like a nose. Yeah. And that you know that means that I have to wear my protective gear just you know just like I do for firefighting. Yeah. You know, it my in my town position. The goal for all of us workers is to go home on Sunday night. Absolutely. Uh, with, without having tired. to have, what was that? Tired. Yes, tired. Yes. T- tired and in your own vehicle, not yeah. uh, not, not via a vehicle with, with lights on it. So, um, so, But that does bring up an interesting point, and, and we should make this really clear before we head to break and talk about what our first weekend of, of being an ES looks like. Um, it, it is, th- there is a little bit of, risk involved right a little bit of danger because you do on occasion end up on a hot racetrack walking up to a car that is on fire and that's right. not that does not come without risk so it takes a per- person who is understanding of that to be willing to do it 
um, and then be willing to be trained properly to be able to approach that situation in the right way. Yeah. Um, we had uh, an absolutely fantastic example where uh, myself and one of my team members, and, and I absolutely stress that it is a team sport doing emergency services. And his wife's first weekend, um, we put her in a lightweight Nomex one piece. Uh, and she was not sure if she really wanted to be, you know, going to a fire. And I said, just keep feeding his fire bottles until we run out or the other truck gets here with, with the big pump on right. it. Uh, Cause at new, this happened at New Hampshire and it was her first time to be in a truck, be in one of our trucks. Right. And it was not her first time to be at the track. So she knew what the risk was. But it was also the first time that she had to get close to a fully involved Porsche 944 turbo fire. Right. And when those things burn, they burn good and hot. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it had not been shut off. The power had been sh shut off. So as soon as the uh, starter wires got um, melted enough, they crossed and... The car chugged in gear oh down the track and the only thing i did was i turned it into the wall yeah because eventually it's going to come to a stop there yeah that's true that's true and we we got it knocked back far enough to shut the power off to the to the car right and we dealt with everything else right that's an extreme case of not turning the power off um usually the, the most important reason to turn the power off is to be able to turn off the the fuel pump so that right. the fuel pump's not continually feeding the fire more gasoline, which you're trying to put out. Right, exactly. And yeah. and I've I had that happen to me uh, in my other position as emergency services chief for the New England Forest Rally. Mm. And Ken Block had his first Cosworth catch on fire, and that was on my watch as well. Nice. I mean, not no, nice. No, that was magnesium. Oh yeah, those those burn really hot, and you can't put them out. Yeah. Yeah, and he also left it on, so we had to wait until twenty-two gallons of uh, race fuel burned yeah. out. Yeah, I I will say that in in my brief experience with with what, what I thought was fire, um, getting out to me felt like it was more important than turning the car off. <laughs> oh, it is. It so is. so I, I get it how you can jump out without turning it off. Um, but it also, if you're listening to this and you're a driver or someone who's building a race car, um, this is a perfect example of, of the discussion of why it's really important to put your emergency cutoff switch, not necessarily in the position that's best for the driver, but in a position that we as workers can get there and reach without burning ourselves if the car is on fire to get that car turned off. So I, I like as when I'm building a race car to put it on the driver's window, a pillar, because then I've got access to it on my way out and a worker can have access to it also. Um, yes. that, that to me is the best place for it. Um, if you put it on the other side, the driver can't reach it if it's on a, you know, if it's a regular sedan. Um, so, and, and wherever you put it, please put that big E, um, or the no, the the whatever the sticker is, it's now the lightning bolt, right? Yep, it's lightning bolt in a triangle, and you know that if emergency services catches, or in in my case where I've been, you know, at tracks uh, at SCCA events, if somebody's not having their equipment labeled right, I'll I'll go to tech and say, this guy's you know. He's got to drop the dollar to buy the, the yeah, sticker and, it's literally and put a dollar. it in the right place. And please don't let him go out until then. Yeah. Yeah. I used to actually carry a handful of the E's in, the, in those in my track bucket, and I would just, just hand them out. <laughs> yeah. I have um, a bunch of those, and I have a bunch of the new lithium-ion battery stickers that uh, we just put through the, on the GCR. Cool. For the same reason. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so I think we've kind of let people in on the what the fun is and and the different things they can do. Uh, let's go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Brian's a new ES person and he's showing up at the racetrack. And what what am I supposed exactly? Any any specialty? He's like new new worker, fresh meat. Great, I'll take it. <laughs> 
<laughs> We're going to do that. We're going to talk about what your first weekend at the racetrack in ES will look like. That's next on Inside the SCCA. I'm Dorsey Schrader, and when I'm on my way to Embrace, I'll listen to the SCCA podcast, Inside the Short Bus. Dion, give me three reasons to get coaching started before the runoffs. One, we're going to make you go faster. Two, we're going to help you be safer while doing it. And three, we're going to help you have a lot of fun. The runoffs is the biggest race weekend of your season. So do you want to make the most of it? Do you want it to be the best race weekend of the year? Of course you do. We're going to give you pre-race track guides, video tracks, exercises. You show up ready to go. Every practice day, you'll be able to upload your video, get coaching sessions back with specific pointers on where to go faster and how to go faster. Number two, all of those coaching points are going to help you also go safer and be more consistent while doing it. Number three, you'll be working with freaking Ricky Taylor or Spencer Piggott or Colin Mullen, people you watch on TV. They're the ones that know VIR well, and they're going to be working one-on-one with you. You have a blast working with them as well. That's Dion Von Mulkey, Rolex 24 and Sebring 12-hour race winner and co-founder of Blaze Coaching. For more info, go to blaze.io. Links to the runoffs packages are in the show notes. And we are back inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Belansky. With me, New England Region Chief of the Emergency Services Team, Peter Vallone. For those of you who don't know Peter Vallone, you might know Thumper. Same guy. He actually has a name. It's not Thumper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, all right. We've talked about all of the the, the technicalities, what, what it's all about. I've been at the racetrack. I've seen you guys doing your thing. Maybe I have a little bit of experience. Maybe I don't um, as far as being in the fire service or an EMT. Uh, Let's say I don't. Let's say I don't know anything. And I'm just like, God, that looks like it's cool. Um, I've rung up the the chief of my my specialty, my my region's ES, and said, hey, Peter, I'm Brian. I want to come out to, to New England International Speedway for... You guys still do the the Halloween races? No, that's that's oh. further south. Uh, we just finished up our last race at Thompson Speedway okay. this past weekend, and uh, we had a good crowd. We had uh, I want to say between 120 and 130 cars. Nice, and we had 25 plus on Formula V's alone. Right, they had their own run group. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see them. It, it's definitely a bunch of angry bees. Nice, but um, I I love I love watching the bees because it's just it's it's a study. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough car to drive fast, um, but when you do it well, they're so cool. But uh, yeah. all right, so I'm the new guy. I'm showing up on Sunday morning. Um, I'm sorry, sa- Saturday. Saturday morning. <laughs> Uh, I've gone through registration. We've talked about that in other podcasts, how to get, how to get to your first race. Um, I show up at the, the first meeting of the day. What, what, what do I, what should I bring with me? Let's start with that. Cause I, I know I don't have a driver's suit yet. Nope. You know, um, what do I bring see, with me? Some regions have driver's suits. We'll try and put you in one. If you feel that you're going to want to get close to a fire, if you're not sure, um, We'll tell you to at least wear, you know, jeans, good sturdy boots, stuff that, you know, has a good soul to it. Um, we try and talk people out of uh, wearing sneakers, although they show up with sneakers and, you know, we'll work around it. Um, and a long sleeve shirt, uh, you know, preferably more cotton than polyester. Right. And we'll provide everything else. We'll provide you with a radio to listen to. We'll provide you with, um, you know, gloves. You know, there's, you know, always a ton of gloves. And, you know, unless you have a, a super tiny hand. Uh, and if you do, I'll, I'll tell you to bring your own gloves and, you know, good, strong work gloves. Right. As, as if you were going to work in the, in the yard all day raking right. and, and doing that type of stuff. The, um, the mechanics gloves are great for this um not the yeah. best it'll get you started um yep. you'll eventually want to upgrade to something that'll protect you in a fire if you really hang out long enough but actually the mechanics makes the m10 and m11 nomex, uh, nomex gloves yes and they that's, do. Th- those are my uh 
handwear of choice. Cool. Cool. Um, and if you are not of a relatively normal shape, <laughs> um, you'll, you'll probably end up having to get yourself your own suit down the road if you want it, because um, I don't know many regions who have suits for a five foot six, 300 pound guy. So um, I do. I have two suits that were donated from drivers that have backed out of being drivers. I have an idea who one of them might be <laughs> that might fit that uh, that size profile up there. Um, but anyway, so but yeah, but but your region may not. So right. um, you know, depending on where where you go, your region may also not have an emergency services team. That's true too. Which I, I which I I think is a travesty because uh, I found out sitting in the safety truck at Indy the first year we ran Indy, uh, the guy in charge of the truck, you know, my, my truck chief who, you know, I'm obviously not going to be a truck chief at Indy, although it, it's fun to, you know, wish. Right. Um, he goes and he says, what, you know, what are those on the front of the car? And I'm like, what? He says, well, they look like horns. And I was like really trying to figure out what he was talking about. It was formula V's were out in in uh practice qualifying right and he was he was describing the front suspension right and i go and i say well geez you know i think i think the official word is a uh, sliding pillar torsion front end suspension and he goes whose idea was that <laughs> and i said ferdinand porsche yeah <laughs> it was his idea yeah and then you know that's the front end of the car he says i've never seen that i said you never had a volkswagen beetle he says yeah i said it's the front end of a Volkswagen Beetle. He goes, oh, my God, it is. Yeah. And who the heck is racing something that old? And yeah. I said, those 34 all, guys. All out those there. guys. Um, and that is a good point. And maybe we should just chat about that for a second. You know, um, some regions are required by the track that they work with, that they rent from, to use that track's emergency services. Um, sometimes it's a wholesale. We're going to hire their team and that's it. Um, other times there is a kind of melding of the ES specialty and the track provided team. I think that's probably a more common way to do things these days, right? That 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 is more common, but um, it's it's amazing how the SCCA emergency services volunteers have a larger knowledge base of the cars that are racing, right? And and that's the key thing. I, you know. I know how a NASCAR car is put together, but they're all spec cars. Right. You know, they're they're all the same. Um, somebody who built their P2 car that's out there running in the front, he built that in his backyard. Right. You have to understand how that thing was put together, as well as a Formula Enterprise, as a spec racer Ford. Um, you know, every GT category from GT Lite all the way up through the GT1 we have to know how they're put together and they're all different. Yep. And, and that's what I love about the sport is that nobody has the exact same car, you know, on the grid. Right. Right. So, um, I'm the new guy. I've showed up on Saturday morning. What's the, what's Saturday morning going to look like for me? Saturday morning is going to be, uh, a truck check, a familiarization of what's on the truck. We're going to show you how, uh, how the fire bottles work, which fire bottles we we as an ES team prefer to use. And currently in the Northeast, we prefer to use the air pressurized water, uh, silver bullets, people call them, uh, two and a half gallon filled with a uh, hydrocarbon encapsulating foam, cold fire, fire cold aid. Fire. Yep. Um, all of those fireball is an, is another one that the name is newer, but it's you know it, they're all they all fit in the same thing, in the same category. Uh, they're surfactants; they aren't really foams. Uh, they're safe to use. You know, there I'm sure there are a lot of people that are asking about the PFOAs and things like that. You know, and they are not any of those. They are not in any of those categories, but it also will not leave a residue like a dry camp does <laughs> people at home can't see me clapping but um i've i've been tasked with cleaning a car 
after after it's been dry cammed and um i will never be around for that job again <laughs> it's, yeah. and honestly if you're in the car and they've got to blow that stuff in there as a driver god that's awful yeah it just it gets up under your helmet you start to breathe it and and there's nothing good comes out of that other than you might not be burned to get out alive uh, that that's right. not the that's the worst a, a worse alternative um, but the nice thing with the cold fire is it doesn't make that that inhaled type situation for the driver, um, which you would really like to avoid if at all possible. Right. And and the whole thing is with, uh, you know, any of the dry camps, the so, sodium bicarbonate, the purple case, uh, they're very corrosive yep. under heat uh, to alloy metals. So if you have a hot motor and you end up hosing down a hot motor, you will probably have to rebuild that motor from scratch. Well, you won't. Yeah. You'll be with taking it out fire, and starting with, over. Yeah. With cold fire, you got to dry it off, you know, find what made flame, fix it, and you can be out in the next session. Yeah. Yeah. And, you don't... and that's what we want to see. We, you know, you know, all of us, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking for all of my crew and, I can imagine probably 97% of all the flaggers that are out there. We just want to see more cars racing. Right. And we don't want to, you know, we don't want to see in the morning, 15 cars start, you know, have a conflagration and only have three cars start in the afternoon session. Right. So I'm, I'm still kind of new. It's my first weekend. I'm not quite sure what, what's going on. Um, You're not going to just throw me out on a hot track, right? Yeah. Now we're going to have you, you know, you're going to basically shadow. Now, usually what we'll do is we'll, we'll put you in the seat right behind the uh, jump seat, which is the the front passenger seat. We call, you know, we sometimes refer to it as jump medic only because that's what NASCAR uses for right. terminology. And it's a common terminology that we try and have, but uh, you'll follow that person or we'll tell you to sit right. depending on, on what the situation is. Um, Unfortunately, there are also weekends where you watch 28 race sessions and never leave and never turn a wheel. Right. And those are those are horrible in trying to get somebody hooked. Right. You know, at a flagging station, you always get to throw a flag. Right. In emergency services, if it was a good weekend for everybody else, we didn't turn a wheel. Exactly. And it's so hard to get somebody hooked on that. And right. all I ask is that if you end up being a new person and you go out and you never turn a wheel in that particular truck for the whole weekend, please, please, please come back. Yeah. Well, and, and the good news is, I guess, um, there's almost never a weekend we don't have to tow somebody in. You know, hopefully you're on the truck that does that. <laughs> Flat towing is is great fun. Yeah, um, you you learn a lot. You get some interaction with the driver. Uh, hopefully, you you know you've told the driver to keep the brakes on and you know to keep the the flat tow strap taut because if they run it over, you know there's a good chance that they've just ruined a perfectly good three inch wide, thirty foot long tow strap, which happened to me not too long ago. Yeah. No fun. Making new. <laughs> <laughs> that always happens to, at some point. It does. And then yeah. we we just hope that the drivers understand, you know, when we yell at them that we're just unhappy that you know, they, they, they made a dirt mark on my strap. Right. We could do a whole episode on explaining to drivers how to do a flat toe. <laughs> well, it's... With, with the new ways of getting drivers out on track we've lost the uh the interaction between in in the driver schools right you know and it, you know you, you took a driver school long enough back that you know somebody from emergency services came by and gave a little five minute dog and pony show right and somebody from flagging did a five minute dog and pony show right you don't do that anymore yeah i am uh I've always, and, and I always never find the time to do it, but I always wanted to do, record those five minute dog and pony shows and put them up on the YouTube channel. And so that every region can direct their, their new drivers before they go to their first driver school, or even maybe a veteran driver who 
has forgotten how to do it. You oh, know, yeah. here's a link. Go watch this and then come back. <laughs> you know, um, one of the ones that I absolutely loved was uh, Walt Matinkowski did one. And he said, someday you will have the big one. Keep your eyes open. It's going to be the best ride of your life. <laughs> and I was like, God, that's great, Walt. I said, have you scared people with that one? Yeah, I think so. Probably. Probably. So um, on your first response, you know, let's say you've got a car. It's it's in the wall and you're rolling on up and you're the new person. I'm the new person. Um, maybe it's not terribly bad and... Uh, it's not so close to the track where it's too dangerous for me to get out of the truck. Um, what are you going to have me do? We're going to have you, you know, uh, again, shadow the, the jump medic seat. Uh, the person that we would put in that seat would, you know, could easily corral you mm -hmm. if it got too crazy. Uh, the truck captain is going to position the truck so that whenever you get out of the um truck you're you're in a, a protected you know you're in a protected zone kind of right. you know the, the little cone of of safety um but sometimes that doesn't happen and and you have to really look at at what's coming you know right. if it, you know if there is traffic you stay away right um you'll go up you'll check the car everybody goes and make sure that the power is off so it's not unusual for uh the Power the master power switches that don't have the removable key, that everybody will touch it, and if you turn it counterclockwise, that means off. Right. And I've seen three people touch the same master power switch, and I did not yell at any one of them because absolutely, it's check, check, yep. and check. Yep. Um, and and you're making sure that the driver is safe. The driver feels good. If there's anything that changes, if you if even if the newest person on the truck hears the driver say, boy, I feel real dizzy. I'm the truck chief wants to know that. And the person that they're assigned with needs to know that as well. Right. Cause that will change the response from the driver's going to get out. He's going to ride in the wrecker back to the paddock, or we need the ambulance and we need that thing now. Exactly. Yep. So, Let's say I'm all gung-ho, ready to go, in the truck, we're responding, and we get there, and I'm like, you know, I don't feel comfortable getting out of the truck. Say something, and that that's fine. Exactly. We, we do not judge. We, you know, because if you say, I don't feel comfortable in, in not getting out of the truck, and you want to sit there, that's okay. Nobody's going to judge you. And you might say at the end of the day saying, you know, this is a bit more of a mouthful than I really want to chew on. Yep. All, all I ask as a chief is, you know, tell me what you didn't like. Is it something I can change? Or is this something that you just don't want to do? And if you know somebody that might like this better, send them our way. Right. You know, I've I've stolen flaggers. Oh yeah, and I'll admit it. You know, yeah. my my number two right now is is Dave White, and his nickname is Flagger Dave. I know Flagger Dave well, and he is he is one of my favorite people, and he loves doing it. Yep. He's also a firefighter. Yep. With uh, he was with Webster, and now he's going to be with East Thompson. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, and if any worker out there who chooses to not put themselves in a situation they don't feel comfortable with. If anybody gives you a hard time about that, give me a call. I'll be happy to set them straight. <laughs> you know, we want people to be happy and fun and have fun. And and if you're, you don't ever want anybody to be in a position they don't feel comfortable with. Um, and if you are, if you do show up as a flagger or at ES and you're like, you know what, this is not, I don't like being, I don't like playing in traffic. There are other things to volunteer and do at the racetrack that don't involve playing in traffic. And Absolutely. really good people uh, and fun people are doing those things too. So, um, you know, if you like cars and playing in traffic turns out not to be your thing, that's great. Um, we, we'll, we'll find a home for you. Absolutely. Um, um, so that's cool, you know, and um, it, it, it's, it's, 
and on most weekends, it, even in ES, it's a pretty laid back kind of situation. You don't respond to a whole lot necessarily on all weekends. You may go like that weekend you said where you do nothing at all except for sit in the truck and listen to your radio in the air. And by the way, most of our, our trucks are air conditioned. So don't tell them that. <laughs> Dude. Um, so you've only got so many seats. I know. I know. You want them full though. And I've just filled every seat for you. <laughs> I do. Um, um, so there's that. Um, now let's let's go just slightly past the newbie situation here. Um, it can be a tough job. You, you can get yourself responding to a situation that is a tough situation. You may get a driver who is hurt badly, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as someone who worked in EMS for 12 years, and I've seen a lot of things that I wouldn't come home and tell my wife about, still haven't to this day. Um, it's rare. Thankfully, because we have all this awesome safety equipment and we have fuel cells and but it's it's not unheard of. And how 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 do you deal with that when it happens? Um, I've been to two. That were. Not great outcomes. I've been to way more that have been good outcomes to great outcomes. And it is a, it's something that you talk with your crew and being the chief of services, um, I have taken uh, critical incident scene debriefing classes, which if it ever shows up, I think absolutely every flag chief, ES chief, tech chief, needs to take that you know the the people in grid have to take that you know as far as i'm concerned the chiefs need to know what what can happen and they need to know how to deal with it um it's you you talk to people it it really is you know i've i've been a firefighter for 30 plus years for 30 years and it just, you know, I've learned how to deal with it. I have a very understanding wife who has a bachelor's in psychology. Mm. Um, so I feel that I can tell her what is going on inside right. and she can help me work through it. But it is not unusual for me to call up a friend that is one or two uh Time time zones away, right? Talk to them about it as well. You know, have you know having your person to talk to is always handy, and yep. and to know that you can talk to them at any time. Right. You know, uh, yep. I've had people call me at two o'clock in the morning. I've called people at two o'clock in the morning. You know, if if it's bugging you, you know, deal with you know. I don't want to say deal with it, but deal with how you want yeah to solve the problem. Yep. And and, and 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 we try and SCCA is very supportive in getting the CISD uh classes out there right. for chiefs and, and the important people that need to do it. I had my 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 first well my one of my main EMS mentors was a former um helicopter pilot in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And um I uh, my first rough call we all have it. Um, he pulls me aside and he said something to me that I will never forget for the rest of my life. He said, no matter the outcome, that person had a better chance of a better outcome with you there than without you there. And whether you do everything properly or you don't do everything properly, whatever the case may be, you know, you, you are the best person there at that moment because you're there at that moment. And, um, and that kind of, put my mind in a place where yeah after it's over sometimes i i would game plan it in my head a hundred times um but walking up i just knew that i do what i did and i do the best i could and that person's got a better chance with me there than they do without me there so um and uh and that's a mindset that people will get over time it's not something you get the first day you come out and do emergency services either oh absolutely yeah you um know? but it, it it also you know we've got people that have started out 
with emergency services as you know handing fire bottles off to you know the people that are actually fighting the fire and they're now you know they're in their EMT class mm-hmm. they're you know they're ta- they've taken several extinguisher classes with their local fire department and they're thinking about joining a fire department that's great and and I want people like that too, but I also want the person that just wants to hand me a fire bottle and say, "Here you go, you go do that. I'll I'll keep you I'll keep you stoked." Yeah, absolutely. There's a place for everybody. We'll find we'll find the right role for you, and that may be different when you start than when you finish. Um, and there might be go the other way too. You know, you might do a lot more, and as we get older, we do a little less. So right. you know, yeah. there's that yeah. also. I mean, I don't flag anymore because I just don't have it in me to stand on a corner in 105 degree heat for eight hours and deal with that. You know, I don't think I ever did. <laughs> well, I was, I, I handled it better when I was 25 than I did when, do when I'm 53 now, 52. So, right. um, yeah, my, my, my former chief who I look up to 100%, you know, his, his knees are really bothering yep. him. So he's, he's taking a back seat yep. and yeah, you know, we aren't, you know, we aren't ma- making him do the, the jump medic seat on the flat toe, you know, rapid response truck. Right. But, you know, I know that, you know, he is also there for me to sound off to. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I need those people as well. All right. I've had a great first weekend doing this. Now what? Back next weekend. <laughs> now, exactly. Now, now what? Three weeks. Three weeks. We'll see you again. We're going to be at Thompson now instead of New Hampshire. And it's a completely different place, but we still run, you know, emergency services and we're going to have a good time. Yep. You get to see a completely different track. I mean, you know, to, to be honest with you, our first event this year, 2022, was at Palmer Motorsports, Whiskey Hills Raceway in Palmer, Mass. There are, there were Seven run groups, four times over the weekend. So we had 28 run groups. Right. Emergency services ran 25 run groups. We turned a wheel for 25 of those 28 run groups. Wow. That's a busy weekend. We pulled out, we pulled out our hydraulic tool. We pulled out our sawzall. We extricated and extracted drivers. And at the end of the at the end of the Sunday night, we put everything away. I sat down in my chair outside of my RV, and I just said, holy cow. <laughs> exactly. We were effing busy. <laughs> Last question before we head out. Uh, do you guys still do a fire school? Uh, not as often as I'd like. Okay. Because of Department of Environmental Services restrictions. How about cutting up a car? Yes. We have New England region uh, five years ago, uh, 22, so we bought that. Uh, six years ago, bought our a, new, a newer set of hydraulic tools that was provided because they knew I was a racer and working with SCCA, I got a, a set of Hamatro, uh, a Hamatro cutter, spreader, ram, and a simul pump, which will work both tools at the same time uh, for very low cost. And that was the best thing we ever did. And, you know, we pulled that out and cut up something that I never thought I'd ever cut up. Yeah. Which was a P1 car. Yeah. So, yeah, if you want to do fun stuff like that, too. You know, we play with the tool. Oh, we'll teach you. You know, uh, nothing cooler than even if it's at a, tri- a, a fire school, you know, popping an A pillar with 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 a cutter. That's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! <laughs> <laughs> More power. Exactly. Never, never enough power. Whether it's in a race car or or a hydraulic cutting tool. All right, Thumper. Thank you. Thank you. We'll do this again. Yeah, so. you didn't even ask about me driving a spec racer Ford. That's a different podcast. Yeah, that's doing a, whole, a CRE. That was great fun. That's a whole different podcast. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Inside the SCCA. 
Uh, we're going to do ES-201 uh, at some point. We'll figure out what which portion we'll focus on for that. Uh, but we appreciate uh, Peter for joining us today. That's going to do it for this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss an episode. Also, be great if you'd leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. Follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is. Leave a question there on Twitter. It's racing at RacingWireNet. There's a new Inside the SCCA every week. I am Brian Belansky. Have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars. The Inside the SCCA podcast is an independent media outlet owned, operated, and managed by Rule 15 Productions. Rule 15 Productions uses the SCCA name with permission, but without direction or influence from the Sports Car Club of America.